We're going to be in 1 John today, if you want to go there in your Bibles. 1 John, that's in the New Testament. It's, uh, it's I'm not sure, what is it after? First, Second Peter, okay. It's after, I get the last bit. He, between Hebrews and James and Peter and John, I, I, I get them mixed up. But it's 1 John chapter 3. Uh, yeah, but before we get into the Word, I just wanted to thank you guys for anyone who participated in our day of service yesterday. Um, if you participated, let me hear you. Okay. Awesome. As a church body, you may, you may not know this, Grace Covenant Church is a church that exists across several different congregations. We've got uh, Chantilly English, Korean, and uh, Latino in Chantilly, so three congregations in Chantilly, two congregations here. We have a one o'clock Latino service that, that meets here. We've got uh, Grace Covenant Church, uh, Capitol Hill, that was launched earlier this year. We've got Grace Covenant Church, Brookland, and I'm missing one. Am I not? No, I'm not. Okay, so that's five. Plus, yeah, okay, so there are a bunch and, and more to come. So we, we as a church across different congregations uh, throughout the, the metropolitan area, we served our, our various ministry partners and we had over 600 volunteers serving yesterday. So thank you so much. Um, over the last month or so, we have been collecting an offering to, to give for this purpose, and we collected over 200, our goal was $200,000, and we collected about $214,000, so thank you if you gave towards that offering. And we literally disseminated all that money across our ministry partners. Here in Sterling, we, we gave for Mobile Hope, Chesterbrook Academy right across the street, Dominion High School, which is almost as good as Chesterbrook Academy. I was at Chesterbrook Academy, um, painting and cleaning up paint, um, mostly cleaning up paint, but here we are. Uh, and who am I missing? Uh, Park Ridge, Park Ridge Garden Apartments. There was a huge uh, event there, so thank you, thank you to everyone who served. Um, thank you to our team, Debbie, uh, Pastor Jermaine, Colleen, I'm probably forgetting other people who, uh, Pastor JC, um, who, who served with our specific teams in, in our ministry partners. It's, we really believe God has put us here to, to reach the Route 7 corridor, uh, Grace Covenant Church Sterling. And, and one of the ways that we do that is we meet the physical needs of people in order that they might be open to hearing about their spiritual need. And so I'm confident that God will continue to open doors as we are a, a material blessing that we might also be a spiritual blessing. So I, I'm so thankful to those of you who've caught that vision. If you've not caught it, we serve our community. We, we proclaim the gospel to our community, but we also serve our community. And I want to invite you to be a part of that process. Uh, Jesus met physical needs, right? He fed people. He healed people of their physical ailments. Um, and it, it was in part to, to meet the needs of of them, but it was also in part to show them that the, the kingdom had come. And so we want to bring the kingdom to the Route 7 corridor. Thank you for participating. Well, two weeks ago, I preached on the fact that we are saved uh, in order to serve. And this week, I want to talk about the fact that we are saved in order to sacrifice. Hooray. You know, we don't just get saved in order to avoid a very fiery and painful and permanent uh, existence in hell, but we are saved to an end here on earth that is both for our good and for God's glory. And two weeks ago, I talked about how we're saved to serve, that, that like Jesus, we serve those people around us. But today, I want to talk about the fact that we are saved to sacrifice. We are saved to sacrifice. So we're going to, um, 
We're going to be in 1 John. But I, before we get there, I, I want you to raise your hand if you don't feel the need to be loved. Okay, that's what I thought. Everyone in this room wants to be loved. I remember when I was a kid, I was in uh, my dad's Oldsmobile. There was no air conditioning. The windows were down. I think that's probably what it was like because that was the case most of the time. And we were listening to the oldies, 50s and 60s, uh, like... Like uh, the Beatles were like the edgier later portion, so we're listening to to, to doo-wop and 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 I asked my dad as a young young boy, I said, Dad, why are there so many songs about love? And this wasn't a cutesy, you know, moment with with a hallmark ending. I was literally confused. I was like, there's so many other things to talk about. We've got GI Joes, we've got Ninja Turtles. Can we make a cool song about something interesting? Because I didn't understand. Later, you know, sixth grade, I began to understand. Um, but we, we have a desire to be loved. We have a desire to live in, in fellowship, in relationship with other people where we know that, that who we are is received and accepted and appreciated. That our faults and our, our failures and our sin and our weakness and brokenness is, is seen and we're not rejected because of it, but rather we're, we're accepted and we're loved. We all want to know that we're loved. And so today I want to talk about what it looks like to know that you're loved, what it looks like for us to love others. So if you will go to 1 John chapter 3 with me, verse 16, we're going to read one verse together. If you can stand together, it's our practice here at Grace to stand and read the word together. It's good to hear it out of the mouths of your neighbors. Uh, so we're going to stand and read this word together. 1 John chapter uh, 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have shown us what love is, that you've not left it to speculation, to philosophy, to to our own imagination, but you've, you've said this is what love looks like. And not only have you given us a picture of that love, you've poured out your love. So God, I pray that you would, by your spirit, impact our hearts so that we might appreciate and freshly experience your love. That your spirit might minister uh, the reality of the fact that Jesus died on the cross. That that historical moment that was an expression of your love, would, would warm our hearts and that we would receive the love that you have given us. And God, I pray that as we receive that love, that your Holy Spirit would allow us to minister that love to others in, in the mode of sacrifice. God, I pray that we would be, that our hearts would be quickened, that we've been given new life in order that we might give those lives away. Holy Spirit, Move in our congregation to make us people who love radically, who love sacrificially, who give, who are saved in order to sacrifice. I pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of your spirit. Amen. You guys can be seated. So if you're taking notes, today I want to talk about the certainty of God's love, the certainty of God's love. The definition of God's love and the result of God's love. The, the certainty of God's love, the definition of that love, and the result of God's love. First of all, the certainty of God's love. In, in verse 16, the apostle John 
John's the love, he's the love apostle. Paul's the, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the apostle of logic. He's the apostle of power. Uh, he's, he's a lot of things, but, and he does give us 1 Corinthians 13, so he does speak about love, but, but there's something about the way that John speaks about Jesus that there's just love that's exuded. When you read the gospel of John and when you read the letters of John, he talks so much about love, about, and he calls, he calls the church his beloved. In this letter, he's an older man. He, he ends up being the only apostle who doesn't uh, die a martyr's death. He's, he's uh, sent to a, an island. He's exiled, but he isn't martyred, and he speaks about love. He wants his, he calls them his little children. In this letter and the other letters, he calls the disciples not just children, but the, the language there is, is little children, my beloved little children. And he looks it out at us as a congregation, and, and he says, my little children, this is love. And he says in verse 16, by this we know love. By this we know love, and this is going to point to the next clause that he's going to talk about. But he says, we can know love. He doesn't just say, by this we have an idea of what love might be like. By this we might be able to draw some conclusions about what God's love might look like. By this we can, we can see kind of faintly what, what God feels about us. No, he says, by this we know God's love. God does not leave the question of his love, love up to, to speculation. You know, one of the things that makes Christianity uniquely different from other religious systems is that the, the core of our faith is it's founded on and, and it's nailed down to history. It's nailed down to a historic moment. Paul goes so far to say, if Jesus didn't die and, and, and be resurrected, be raised again, if this historical reality did not actually happen, then just go party because we're all lost. Just live your life now, do what you want to do because nothing matters. What Paul was saying was that the historic reality of the, uh, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is at the core and foundation of everything we believe. And John here is reflecting on that, and he says, by this core reality, we know. And as I said, other religions will say we can kind of assume or we have heard from a prophet or we have uh, looked out into history, or not history, we've looked out in, into creation and, and we can kind of glean. Philosophy looks and says, okay, what's the highest and best? What's, what's the good? What's the beautiful? What's the true? But, but it uses human reason to try and build a ladder to some sort of idea of truth, some sort of idea of love. And we're born into this world knowing and hungering for acceptance and, and love. But we, apart from this truth, we can't grasp at something that we know to be true. There, there's a suspicion there. There's a cynicism there. And you can sense it in the world. You can sense it when you talk to your coworkers who don't believe in God. Or maybe who have a different belief that, ah, yeah, I know that, I, I know that there's love out there, but Maybe. Every other religious system that I've looked at tries to earn or create or build a foundation upon which love can rest. You know, if I just do enough stuff, maybe this is your life as a, as a child. If I just, if I'm obedient and I don't rock the boat, 
then my parents will love me. You know, if I, if I do a good job at school, then love will be able to rest here. Or maybe if I, if I just learn more about um, my background, my heritage, then I'll discover love. I'll discover something of the purpose that I was made for and the love that I was intended to have. We're seeking and we're searching for love, but, but apart from this historic reality, it, it's, it's, like, it's like steam. You can't grab steam. It, the moment you try to get it, it's out of your hands. John says, by this we know love. Family, are you hungry for love? Are you here and, and, and maybe you, you've, you've come here because a friend invited you or you heard about the church and you're not really sure where you fall? There is a way to know that you're loved. There's a way to know that you know that you know that you're loved. In the same way that I know that this, this floor is not going to collapse. I, I'm trusting it and I know that it's here. There's a way to know that you are loved. He grounds, God grounds our understanding of love in, in concrete reality, in history. Again, this is not, if you ask any, any historian who doesn't have a, a, a religious or philosophical bent, they don't want to, to negate the reality of God or Jesus Christ, but they just want to look at the facts. Everyone acknowledges that Jesus lived. And, and in fact, a lot of you, you can find scholarship that is non-Christian that, that recognizes that, they may, maybe don't recognize that Jesus rose from the dead, but they will recognize that people claimed that Jesus rose from the dead. This is not human philosophy or reasoning. This is reality. He says, by this we know love. How do we know love? Let's go on from the certainty of God's love to the definition. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. How does God define love? Sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life. He laid down his life. Now, how does he lay down his life? It's more than just, well, he died on the cross. Jesus lays down his life by taking on human flesh. In, in John chapter 1, not, not 1 John, but in the Gospel of John chapter 1, Paul, uh, I, I like Paul, I quote from Paul quite a bit. John, he begins the gospel and he says, in the beginning was the word, this word logos, this, this uh, idea of the, the, the image and the thought and the mind and, and the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not made anything that was made. Continuing to talk about this word, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. So we're talking about this word. Then he skips down. If we skip down to verse 14, and he refers back to the word. In verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is God. The word is Jesus. Jesus lays down his life by taking on human flesh. Now, why, why do I say that he lays down his life? Well, in, in one respect, he is sacrificing his position in heaven, not his power, 
Not his deity. He doesn't set aside his deity. He doesn't stop being God. But he sets aside his stature and his honor to become human. And not only does he become human, but he becomes a servant. It says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Um, this is in the, in the situation, uh, John, James and John, they, they get their mom and they say, Mom, or, or maybe their mom is just trying to be a good mom. And she comes and tries to make an argument with Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, you know, you got to respect your elders. And uh, as an elder, I want you to make sure that my son, uh, my sons are on the right and left hand of your, your, your rulership. Basically, he's like, they need cabinet positions, okay? You know, Mama, Mama James and John, they want, she wants to make sure that they have cabinet positions. Um, and, and Jesus says this, uh, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over, talking about authority, and uh, their great ones exercise authority over you, verse 26. But it, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must become a servant. And whoever would be first must become your slave. Verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus came to earth, the, the most honorable and honor-deserving and glorious and, and uh, dignified entity in all of existence, he came to serve. He came to humble himself. Jesus lays his life down by humbling himself for us. Uh, in, in John chapter 13, again, Jesus is trying to give them a picture of what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God. And, and he's about to be betrayed and he's about to be crucified. And in one of his last moments with his disciples, he goes and, and they've come to, to the Passover meal and he takes off his outer garment, puts on a towel, and he begins to do what only uh, the lowest of low servants would do. They, the Jewish people wouldn't even have Jewish servants do this. They'd try and get foreign servants to do this. He goes and he washes their feet. He washes their feet before the meal. He does what this, they're arguing about who's going to be first, right? Uh, I want to be, be the, the Secretary of State. Well, I, I want to be the Secretary of Defense. You know, I, I'm going to be over education. And, and, and Jesus is saying, I'm going I'm to go wash your feet. I'm going to shine your shoes. And he washes their feet. He humbles himself. He shows at his greatest moment of authority the greatest love of humility. And in Hebrews, it says that, that he looks on to the cross and, and he endures the cross. In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, it says this. Um, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. You know, on the cross, we, we think of Jesus dying for our sins and we think to ourselves, oh man, he died. But, but he also was enduring hostility. It wasn't as though people were like, oh no, he's, he's God. Sorry God, we love you. No, in this moment he's being spit on, he's being heckled by, by one of the, at first both thieves and then one thief. He's being heckled by the thieves. The, the Roman citizens are looking at him as though he is a, a criminal. I mean, if you've ever been wrongly accused and people treated you as such, you can imagine how frustrating, how upsetting, how, how angering that might feel. 
And it says he endured the cross and despised the shame. And he's seated at the right hand of God because of it. Jesus laid down his life. His whole life from beginning to end was one of laying it down. Of laying it down before us. This is how he shows us his love. Are you, God, I need you to show me that you love me. Sometimes we want to pursue an emotion of feeling. God, in worship, can I just, can I, can you just give me a tingle? Just something that helps me feel, you know, I'm really, I'm not really feeling worship. I'm, if you weren't feeling worship, I don't know what to tell you because when Jazzy's here, all you can do is feel worship. <laughs> or, I love you, Jazzy. I say that in all love and positivity. Um, but we pursue not, not necessarily love, but some sort of emotional response. And family, if you're looking for an emotional response, you might be missing love. He shows us his love. Not only does he show us his love, but family, it says that he laid down his life for us. Who is us? That is terrible English. Who is us? In Ephesians, it tells us what us is. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, and you were in complete rebellion against God. You were a criminal, dead in your trespasses, unresponsive as it relates to God. God in his goodness and holiness is saying, this is how I want you to live your life, and you're saying, I hear nothing. Have you ever had a conversation with someone, and you were talking to them, parents maybe, of teenagers, and they just ignore you completely? Or, or, or a spouse, or, or a coworker, or a boss, and you're, you're saying, hey, this is important to me, can I talk to you about this? And it's just, and it's frustrating. It's angering. Now imagine that you lived in a world where that was the disposition of everyone. And those people owed you everything. That's a, a beginnings of what God's existence is like as it relates to us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, unresponsive, giving him the silent treatment, unappreciative, angry, disrespectful, hateful towards God. We are dead in our trespasses, and it says that we are children of wrath. In verse 11, it says that we are, he's talking about Gentiles, but it's true of Gentiles and Jews. Um, we were separated from Christ, and strangers to God, having no hope, having no hope. How much of that is the world we live in? Do you ever just look around at work and just think to yourself, man, what a, what a hopeless world that I live in? I, I mean, maybe not. Maybe you're, you're you know, strengths finders is positivity, and you're like, I, I never think that way. Mine is not. So occasionally I look around and I think to myself, whoa, what a hopeless world we live in. And, and apart from God, if, if all that we are is time plus matter plus chance, then there's no, nothing to hope for. And, there, and hope is not even a category that we ought to be thinking in. Even, even the self-deluded atheist who doesn't believe that there's a God or there's meaning 
has to search for some sort of meaning, has to argue for the lack of meaning, because meaning is so important. And with meaning, hope. He says that Jesus laid his life down for the hopeless. In Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for who? For uh, the righteous ones. No, no, sorry. It says, uh, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for people who um, were, were doing a pretty good job with their lives. No. Um, for at the right time, while we're still weak, uh, Christ died for people who just kind of tell white lies. They, they kind of fudge the truth. They aren't, they aren't violent in action, but man, in thought, on the road, they've considered some things. And he says, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8 says, but God shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, I have no desire to be um, hard for the sake of being hard or harsh for the sake of being harsh. But I'm concerned when our language as it relates to how we think about who we are wanders away from sinners, rebels, trespassers, disobedient over to, well, we make mistakes. You know, everyone makes mistakes. Yes, everyone makes mistakes, but the Bible doesn't talk about mistakes when it says that we are children of wrath. It says that we are sinners by nature and choice. And, And what that means is that we don't just, you know, a mistake is, oops, I knocked over that. That was on, there was no moral association to that. A sin is saying, this is God's, but I'm going to take it as though it's mine. And the problem, family, is that you and I, our lives are God's. Not our lives are God's, plural, but our lives are His. And what have we done? We have stolen them, and we've lived as though they're our life. We're not just mistake makers, we're sinners. And I don't say that because I want to be mean to you. I say that because the only hope that you have is when you recognize that and see that God still loves you. Until you recognize that, that I have sinned, I haven't just made mistakes, but I have broken God's law and I deserve death and hell, that's the only point at which you can say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins and rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death and offering eternal life. <laughs> Jesus didn't die for you when you were doing a good job. Jesus died for you in that moment where you thought that terrible, horrible thing that you don't want anyone else to know about. Jesus died for you when you did that terrible, horrible thing that you don't want anybody to know about. Christ shows us his love. God shows us his love by laying his life down for us. This is good news, family, because if he died for you at the worst point of your existence, then you got nothing to hide. Some of you, you, you walk into church, you live your life, you, you relate to others with, um, you've got an overcoat on, and, and you don't want people to see what you're really wearing. And, and your overcoat's nice, and you keep it clean, but, but you don't want to take off your overcoat. And, and some of you, I, I can see it in the way you carry yourselves. 
Because it's kind of this like, and, and you don't want to relax and, and be yourself around people because, man, if people really knew, if people really knew that, and what I'm not asking for, what I'm not saying is that we go into the small group fair and then you just, we're just going to all just dump out our, our junk. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> be wise. Find some people who love the Lord and are close to you and dump your junk with them. But when, I, when, it, when it comes to God, there's no fooling God. There's no fooling. He knows. He knows what's going on. He was there when you said that thing, when you did that thing, when you did those things, when you continued, to, when you had a habit of doing these things. He knows. Christ died. He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us in that moment. It's good news, family. There's no need to hide. When you, when you grasp that, John expects that there's, there's a change. When you begin to see, oh my goodness, God loves me even when I did that thing. When you begin to see that God accepts me even though I did that thing, all of a sudden there's a result that comes from God's love, right? We talked about the certainty and the definition, and now we're going to look at the, the result of God's love. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, there's no, there's no therefore there. It, 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 there's no explicit therefore do this. But I think that John is implicitly saying therefore. Right? He doesn't lead out with we ought to love our brothers. No, he says, I'm just going to put this right here. Jesus died for us. And we ought to love, you know, why, John? I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to point right here. Why should, we, why should I love my brothers? Why should I love the people at my church? Why should I love these, these knuckleheads that get on my nerves? That person looked at me funny before service. That person didn't give me enough donuts. That person asked for two donuts. And, and John's like, Christ died for us, you know. It's, Jesus is the trump card. For God, why do I have to forgive? Why do I have to be forgiving? Jesus. Why do I have to love these, these people? They're so hateful. Jesus. Why do I have to walk in purity? Jesus. Why do I have to stop envying? Why, can't, why do I have to be content? I'm not happy with my life. Jesus. Right? The God of the universe has everything, needs nothing, comes to earth, becomes a baby of, of a middle class, lower middle class, maybe poor family, born in a manger, which is not just like, hey, this is cool, like, we made this manger. No, it's got slop in it that they kind of cleaned out. That's, that's his beginnings. He doesn't, he doesn't go to an Ivy League school. He, he, he swings a hammer. He's a, he's a blue-collar worker, lives three years, Abandoned by his best friends, murdered by everyone else. That's Jesus' life on earth. And we're like, it's really hard on 66. <laughs> I've been there. I know it is bad. It is bad. You got to watch yourself because there's like express lanes and you might find yourself anyways, somewhere else. Jesus Jesus is our trump card, or he's God's trump card. And when we look honestly at what he's done, if you will just look honestly at what he's done, I, 
I, I promise you that you will get a greater sense of God's love for you. And my hope is that you would have a greater willingness to now sacrifice like he does. God shows us, or God calls us to show that we are following him by loving his people. I'm gonna repeat that. God calls us, calls you and me, tells us that we are to love him and the way that we show our love for him and that we follow him is by loving the people around you right now. You can look around, all these people, and you don't get to pick. You're like, I'll love that guy, but not him. <laughs> and John, I, I quote this, but it's, it's so, I just, it continues to be radical to me. In John chapter 13, Jesus gives this commandment, and he says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So I, I'm going to, we know what the definition of love is, right? I don't know if you ever had to do this in school where you took a definition and then you plug that into the word, or it, that definition into a sentence, right? You know, Bill uh, danced at the ball, and dancing is moving your body around. So Bill moved his body around at the ball, right? And, and we're going to do that. So look at this in uh, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you're what? My disciples. What is a disciple? Someone who follows and emulates someone else, okay? By this, will all people know that you are following and emulating Jesus Christ if you have love for one another. What does he just define love as? Laying down his life. So listen to this. By this, all people will know that you are following and emulating Jesus. What? By your theology? No. By, by giving a lot of money? No. By serving the poor? We do these things. We love these things. No, he says... If you lay down your life and sacrifice for one another, the, the world is going to know that you're a Christian not because you have a WGTS 91.9 sticker on the back of your car. As much as I like that, it's great. As much as you, you, know, you, you say nice things and, and you, you do nice things and, and you have the Christian fish and you quietly you know, bow your head in the, in the presence of your your unsaved friends at, at Olive Garden, so, so that they know she's a Christian. No, they will know, they will, they will know, right? Just like we know, they will know that you're my disciples if you lay down your life sacrificially for one another. All people will know that you follow Jesus if you lay down your lives for one another. Love is more than just greeting one another on Sunday and going about your business. So how, how can we lay down our lives? Well, we just, we just talked about how Jesus did it. We can, we can serve one another like Jesus did. We can humble ourselves like Jesus did. We like to humble ourselves, right? It's better than being humiliated, I'll say that. Either, you, you know, if you're following God, I promise you that he has a plan for your life and that plan is to conform you to the image of Christ. So you're gonna get to your knees. And the question is, are you gonna bend them or is he gonna break them? And I say that in love. Um, but you're gonna get there. That's God's intention. You're gonna get there. We can serve one another, we can humble ourselves, and we can be with one another. You know, Jesus shows us his love, what, by dwelling among us. And when Jesus dies and rises again, what does he do? He sends the comforter who is, what, God with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. 
Family, uh, I'm so glad you're here, right? I'm, I'm speaking to the, to the choir, as it were, using a church metaphor in church. Um, so I'm thankful that you're here, and, and I'm, I want to challenge you that, you know, if you're here once a month, I'm so glad you're here once a month, maybe you should be here once a week. If you're here once a week, I'm so glad. Maybe there's, there's relationships that need to be developed. We need to be around one another. And that goes for me too. Like, I'm, I'm right there with you. I live in, in Winchester, and, and being around you guys, is, is, it, it takes effort. But I want to be around you. I don't want to grow in being around you guys. And I want for us to be a church that is around one another. If you're online, we need you to be here. I'm so thankful for what, what technology did for us for COVID, but put on a mask or don't, but be here. We can be near one another. Family, you were saved to sacrifice. That's God's intention for your life. If you think that you were saved into like, now we're going to have a good life and God, well, you'll have a good life, but, but, it, but like a, a good life the, like the world suggests it, like I now get to do what I want, I get to fulfill all my greatest desires and dreams apart from God, and he's going to help me and he's going to foot the bill. I'm sorry, that's not, that's not Christianity. You were saved to serve and you were saved to sacrifice. There, it's true that God saves us. This, it's amazing. I wasn't planning this, but why not? In Romans chapter 8, um, there's this amazing chain of salvation. Um, chapter 8 is awesome, and you should read all of it. Of Romans, Romans chapter, I mean, I'm sure there are other chapter 8s that are really good. Um, help me here. Here we go, okay. We know that for those who God loves, or who love God, we know that for those who love God, for all those people who love God, all things work together for good, comma, for those who are called according to his purpose. Why do you say that, Paul? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those he knew would put their trust in God, who, who he... He knew relationally before the foundation of the world, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he called. He created a means by which they would be called and they would hear the gospel. If you've trusted in God, then you heard the gospel, you responded, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those whom he knew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he he called those whom he called. He justified those whom he called, justified. He, he glorified. It's the same group of people. So if you're over here and you, you know that you've been called and you've been justified, then you can also know that God before the foundations of the world knew you. And if you don't know that, then just trust in God. And then you know. But those whom he's justified, he's glorified. And, and that glorification, it, it doesn't bring, it doesn't finish until after this life. And, and some of us, we want that now. We're like, I would like some more of the glorification now. And to you, I would say, too bad. <laughs> the arc of Jesus' life was humiliation and then exaltation. 
And the arc of our lives is intended to be similar because we're what? Followers of Christ. So we will experience humiliation or being humbled and then we will experience exaltation. I'm not talking about like, hey, I tripped in front of a bunch of people and my, you know, shoe fell off. I'm not talking about that kind of humiliation. I'm, I'm talking about the fact that this life is not the point. And if you live this life like this is where you need to receive all your exaltation, you're going to miss it. But if you live this life thanking God for every blessing that he legitimately gives you, uh, all good and perfect things come down from the Father of lights with whom there's no shadow or, or, or shade of turning, right? We believe that every good gift comes from God. We're thankful for that. But the expectation is that we're going to live a life of service and sacrifice now. And that we're going to see Jesus face to face and we're going to be glorified. And we're going to glorify him. We, we are mirrors. You and I are mirrors. But there's a lot of junk on the mirror. And this life is one of cleaning up the junk. And, and we want to be used. Like, God, put us, put us in a retail space. Use us. And God is saying, I'll use you, but this life is, is really for, for cleaning you off. And then we, we die and we go to heaven, and all of a sudden we're clean and clear, and the glory that he has is now reflected in us. And we're reflecting it to anyone else. And can you, have you ever been in a room, like maybe you went to a, carnival and there was a, a mirrored room and you, you shined a light and it just kind of went everywhere, that's, that's going to be what life is like. In the best, most fulfilling way, God is going to use us to bring glory to his name and we will be glorified through that process. You were saved, family, to sacrifice. As we close, have you been trying to define love on your own terms? God, I'll know that you love me if you do this. God, show me that you love me by giving me this raise. God, show me that you love me by fixing this problem. God, show me that you love me by doing this. Now, he may do these things. God is gracious and merciful, but he has shown you that he loves you. He's shown you definitively. He's, he's marked it in history. Have you been trying to define love on your own terms? Have you been trying to define discipline, or sorry, discipleship in terms other than sacrificially loving others? as an expression of your faith in Christ. Is discipleship for you, is following Jesus, well, I go to church, I pray, I read my Bible, and that's all I need to do. I don't need to do this whole small group leading thing. I don't need to be connected with other people. Really, I'm doing you guys a favor by being at church. Is your, is your faith in God vertical to the exclusion of horizontal? Because if it is, I would say that, you, I would put this in question. Because God says that we will show that we love him by the way that we love others. And how can you lay down your life today? Do you need to do something for your wife, for your husband today? They're, they're part of the, the one another, hopefully, by the grace of God. Do you need to join a team to serve in? Do you need to serve? If you're not serving, then the answer is yes. Probably in kid, kid builders. Unless you don't like kids, then uh, AV. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Now, I'm not, you guys love kids. I just was saying, I was just trying to think of a, I don't know. Find some place to serve, please. This is what happens when you go off the page. Um, and then today is, it's, it's small group Sunday. Get in a small group. As, as we, as I, I land the plane, 
promise I will. Um, we're going to be going through the Purple Book this fall. And that's a weird name for a book because it's a weird name for a book. Um, can you grab? It's in the second one. I want to show everyone what it looks like. Pastor Jermaine and I have been preparing and planning, unless it's not in there, and then just bring me another book and I'll pretend. Awesome. Here we go. So it's a purple book. The first print was intended to be blue. It was printed purple, and then everyone thought that that'd be a great way to name it. It's not. Um, very opaque in terms of what it is. The, the subtitle is Biblical Foundations for Building Strong Disciples. This is a great book for you to go through if you've never thought about what it means to follow Jesus. And if you have thought about what it means to follow Jesus, um, and you've gone through this book, well, this is a great book for you to go through again. We're going to be going through these uh, in our small groups. We're going to be having discussion around it. We're not going to just sit in the group and answer questions quietly to ourselves, but, but the hope and expectation is that you'll take a copy of this home, that you'll go through it, and then as, as we meet together, we'll have an opportunity to discuss it and say, okay, how does this relate to my life? The first chapter is on lordship, sin and salvation. Sorry, the second chapter is on lordship. Sin and salvation, so we'll talk about sin, and we'll talk about what that looks like. What does it mean to be a sinner, and, and how does God bring salvation to us? And, and we'll have opportunity to discuss what that looks like in our life now. Do you need to sacrifice some time, an hour, hour and a half, in your busy week to be around other people? I would venture to say yes. And we, we may not have a thousand small groups, but there are enough for you to get into one. We've got them throughout the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's one at, at uh, the Silver Diner, so if you like fancy breakfast food, go there. We're going to do one at, at the Waffle House, too. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just poking fun at John in the back. I, we're, we're basically done. I'm sorry. Um, I would encourage you to join a small group as, as an, ex, an intentional step of obedience to love people well. Um, but what, what step do you need to take today? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that, that you love us. That you've shown us you love us and you've shown us that you love us. Jesus, I thank you that you've expressed God's love to us. That Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've poured out the love that, that God has for us into our hearts that we can cry, Abba, Father. That we can, we can say, God, you are our Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. How you've adopted us as we've trusted and put our faith in you. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the one who calls the shots, today's the day. If you want to put your trust in him, if you want to stop trusting your own ability to, to, to make your life right or get yourself to God or, or order your steps, I want you to just raise your hand. You can pray. And you can pray this, God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I turn to you and I trust in your son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord, as the one who's in charge of my life and as my savior, the one who saves me from the guilt and, and the punishment that is due to me because of my sin. God, help me to walk out a life of faith in you, a life of service and a life of sacrifice. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Love you, family.